First Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, last week we de- dealt with verse 8. Today we're going to read verse 8, but start in verse 9. So 1 Peter 3. Our time in 1 Peter has taken us on a journey. Peter calls us sojourners. So this is a sojourn that we are on. It began with the grace and the mercy of God by which we are born again, Peter said in chapter 1, born again to a living hope. He goes on to say that the grace and mercy of God results in that we are made the people of God who worship God in this world as his people and who witness to his grace. Peter tells us, told us in the first chapter, that as God's people, born again to a living hope, still we will experience the trials and the testings of our faith, but God's going to use this to refine our faith, that it will be shown as genuine, that it will lead to praise and glory and honor. And then Peter goes on on this journey and he tells us to live honorably in the world. We're among a world that does not know God. We're among unbelievers and so we are to let our conduct be good in such a way that they are led to repentance and faith in Christ. This is our sojourning life we've been looking at for several weeks now. Born again, belonging to God while living in the world, trials testing but living honorably as God would have us so we can give testimony to his goodness and his grace. Now today, we turn to a related topic in 1 Peter. Starts in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It's going to continue through the end of chapter 4. It's going to take us several weeks to get there. The topic is suffering for righteousness' sake. Another place in 1 Peter, he calls it suffering for doing good, or chapter 4, suffering for the name of Christ. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be praying, praying for the persecuted church as I did just a moment ago, praying for ourselves, praying here in our own nation. We're going to be praying as God teaches us his word about what it means to suffer for the sake of righteousness. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are upon are open to those who pray. But the face of the Lord is against, <clears throat> against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it, 
with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This is God's word for today. You may be seated. Before we jump into the text, I want to begin with a few givens about suffering for the sake of righteousness, suffering for Christ's name. The first one is this. God's people in the world will suffer. God's people in the world will suffer. Jesus told the Apostle Paul at the moment of his conversion, I'm going to show you how much you will suffer for me. And the Apostle Paul wrote, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the blessing of being born again to a living hope, the blessing of becoming and belonging to the people of God in the world does not mean that we will not suffer. Now we're taking the long view. We're looking for the day of visitation, Peter called it in chapter 2. We're looking for the revelation of Jesus Christ, he said in chapter 1, when God And all of his grace will cause us to stand. And faithful saints will receive the inheritance that God himself is guarding for us. But until then, there will be some level of persecution. And that is promised. If an individual Christian does not experience what seems to rise to the level of of persecution. That does not mean that the promise of persecution is not being fulfilled somewhere else in the world. And what one member of the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer. We don't know when and what type of suffering for Christ's sake is coming next, nor do we know where it will break out in the world. So whether it is in China or Tanzania or Canada or Nebraska, Churches, pastors, Christians, nonprofits are going to experience some level of persecution. It may be from death or physical violence. It may be imprisonment or fines. It may be discrimination in grant funding. It may be for converting to Christ. It may be for doing evangelism. It may be for refusing to register with the state or submitting To its control, it may be for not signing a policy or signing on to a practice which would amount to endorsing an unbiblical belief or behavior. Whatever the case, Christians at some level are going to suffer for the sake of righteousness. Christ's kingdom clashes with the world. Christ's people, under the lordship of Christ, are in the conflict because faithfulness to Christ means we can't conform to the world. God's people in the world will suffer. That's the first given. 
Second given is this. There is something worth suffering for. And he has a name. Christ. It's worth it. To be faithful to Christ. Because we love Christ. Because we want to honor Jesus Christ. Because we love his name. We love his glory. Because we know he died for us. He claimed us as his own. We want the testimony that Christ is right. Christ is right and good and true and gracious and powerful to save. When a Christian trusts Christ and professes that Jesus Christ is Lord, then Christ becomes the treasure of that person's heart and life. Christ then becomes worthy, regardless of what we lose in this world. Whether we're being joked about in high school or rejected by a family member or put in an awkward or intimidating position on a job or put in jail under a totalitarian regime, Christ is worth more than whatever is lost for his sake. Third given, we are blessed when we suffer for Christ's sake, not when we suffer for unrighteousness' sake. Peter presses this point home today. We'll continue to see it in the weeks to come. That the blessing comes when we suffer for the sake of righteousness or suffer for the sake of Christ, not suffer for our own unrighteousness. He presses that home, aware that there are some people who may simply be looking for a reason to claim persecution. They may not be careful to live honorably. And when they may experience the consequences of their not-so-wise behavior, they want to claim persecution. Peter addresses these people, and he says, No, the blessing comes when we suffer for the name of Christ, for righteousness' sake. The fourth given, and then we'll get into the text, is this. God will keep his suffering church. This is our confidence and our hope. When we come to the end of 1 Peter, He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. God will keep his church. He'll do it through prayer. He'll do it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He'll do it through the word of God, strengthening people's hearts. But God himself will keep his church. It is his will that we suffer for the sake of righteousness, to bring glory and honor to his name as his own son Jesus Christ did. And it is his will to get his people all the way home, faithful, And he will do that. And we start today this section in 1 Peter on suffering with that great promise in mind. 
He will see us through. So we come to the text. And what Peter has done and what he's doing is laying out for us a theology of suffering. We need a theology of suffering. There are two kinds of theologies of suffering, or two kinds of suffering, I should say. One is the kind of suffering that comes because we live in a broken world. We need that theology, too. We need to understand that we can't fix every brokenness of this world, and we cannot fix all the suffering of every brokenness of this world. If we don't understand that, then we will go after all manner of illegitimate ways to remove the suffering from this world. The other theology of suffering that we need is the suffering that comes when we suffer for Christ's namesake, for the sake of being faithful to Christ. That is what Peter is laying out here in these verses. The context, as we saw last week, is the congregation, verse 8. It's the honorable conduct in the congregation where he says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And we talked about that being important last week as we move into the conversation on suffering because, because suffering can cause any group, suffering can cause any congregation to turn on itself. Suffering can cause even a congregation like this one to turn on itself and actually become the place of conflict, which is so unhelpful. And Peter is saying, don't do that. There's suffering enough in the world for the cause of Christ that we shouldn't have to suffer with each other because we're in conflict with each other when we come to church. He is trying to communicate that in the suffering for the name of Christ, in the times of persecution, it's the congregation of brothers and sisters that can be so helpful in keeping each other faithful. If you're ever discouraged in Christ, generally speaking, or if you're ever suffering for the name of Christ, when you come into this congregation, I want you to hear, hang in there, be girded up in the faith, stay faithful, God is with you, we are with you. See, we want that kind of congregation. And that's why one of the reasons I think Peter begins in verse 8 with talking about the honorable qualities of the congregation. Because it's so important as we move into suffering. And then in verse 9, he starts the conversation on suffering. I'm going to take these verses that I read in four points. They're two don'ts and two do's. Easy to remember, okay? Starting with the don'ts, two don'ts, two do's. And here they are. First, he says, when suffering for Christ, don't get in and live in the cycle of evil. When we're called to suffer for the name of Christ, don't get in the cycle of evil. Look at verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And then he gives us Psalm 34 to support it. Now he says, don't repay evil for evil. And he actually defines evil. Here's the, you can define evil in numerous ways, but here's the way he defines it in this passage. It's in verse 14. Evil is defined as causing people to suffer when they do righteousness. Evil is causing people to suffer when they are faithful to Christ. That is evil. And it's happening around the world. And Peter's basic point 
is that when we as Christians experience this kind of evil, we are not to respond with more evil. We're not to seek revenge. To do so is to step into the cycle of evil. When you are reviled, he says, that's a verbal abuse, don't revile in return because that's stepping into the cycle of evil. It perpetuates the evil. That's what he says in verse 9. It's the basic point, but then he supports it with Psalm 34. He's quoting the Old Testament for support of his exhortation. Verse 10, he says, keep your tongue from evil. If you're slandered, don't slander back. If you're reviled, don't revile back. Why? Because that's an evil tongue. Don't spread more deceit. If you're lied against, don't lie. Don't twist the truth. Christians actually do have a speech code. We don't have a speech code that is imposed on us by a government. We don't have a speech code that is imposed on us by whatever the dominant voice of the culture is. We don't have a speech code that might be pressed upon us even by the, someone in the broader Christian community. But we do have a speech code. And it's given to us by Christ. It's given to us by the Word of God. And that is, don't let your tongue speak evil. Don't speak deceit. Don't, revile with, don't respond to reviling with more reviling. Verse 11, he says, turn from evil. In other words, get out of the evil cycle of revenge. Verse 12, don't do evil as it has been done to you. And then look what he says. The Lord's face, the Lord's favor is against those who do evil. The Lord's face, the Lord's favor is against those who do evil to his people. This is a serious matter. It's why we're praying. It's why we're making ourselves aware of what's happening all over the world. It's, it's serious that God's face is against those who do evil. God's favor would be against those who would return evil for evil. We're to step out of this cycle of evil. So every Christian is to stop and pray. In response to reviling, in response to slander, in response to a slight, in response to any suffering or persecution, in response to evil, every Christian is to ask this question. Is my response perpetuating the evil? Am I in the cycle? Evil for evil, reviling for reviling, in kind words and actions. When we do this, when we, when we stay in the cycle of evil, we're not expressing the grace of God. We're not expressing the fruit of the Spirit from a born-again heart. We're not reflecting an honorable response, the honorable response of Christ when he suffered and when he was reviled. Just let your eyes go back to chapter 2 and verse 23. This is said of Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly, and just prior to that, Peter said you're to follow his example. When we stay in the cycle of evil, we're not being helpful in giving a testimony to the righteousness of Christ and the grace of God in Christ. 
So Peter's basic point is don't stay in the cycle of evil. Now here's an important point before we move on. It's important to know that what Peter is forbidding is revenge. He's forbidding returning evil for evil. Peter is not forbidding the legitimate use of legitimate means to address persecution. In fact, just prior in chapter 2, verse 14, and the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 tell us that it is the government's job to punish evil. And it is evil to cause the suffering of people who are doing righteous deeds and remaining faithful to Christ. It's the government's job to punish that. So when possible, Christians should appeal to the laws against discrimination and against persecution. And doing so is not revenge. And if the government fails to do its job, then that government will be held accountable by God. Christians should use speech, various forms of speech, to argue and persuade for Christ and for Christ's righteousness. Christians should be involved in, we could use this term, deconstructing unrighteousness and exposing it for what it is. Doing so is not revenge. And when Christians use laws and policies and speech to combat persecution, they should do it in ways and with attitudes that are not vengeful. But for the purpose, the purpose of doing this is to further the honor of Christ and the grace of Christ and the righteousness of Christ. This is a matter of the heart. And what Peter is saying is, do it that way. Don't do it in revenge. Don't get in the evil cycle and in all times remain faithful to Christ. Second point, here's the do. That's the don't. The don't is don't live in the cycle of evil. Here's the do. Rather, he says, verse 9, bless. On the contrary, contrary to what? Returning evil for evil and reviling for reviling. You should bless. Now, what he means is more than just bless you. He means to act in a way that honors Christ. And, and here's, here's what it means to bless someone who persecutes you. To act in a way that puts that person that is doing the reviling or the persecuting or the evil, puts them, that person, those people in a position to potentially come to Christ. To put a person who's doing the reviling in a position to potentially see by our response to them that God's ways are right. To bless someone who is persecuting you is to put that person in a position to potentially come to repentance and faith in Christ. This is our, our purpose for blessing people who persecute. It's so that they will come to faith. And he says in verse 9, this is our calling, that in doing so, we would obtain a blessing. God will bless this person. Verse uh, uh, tells us, uh, Psalm 34 is the quote, tells us in verse 11, he says, do good 
This is how you bless. You do good. You bless those who persecute you. Jesus said this over and over. Both accounts of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Jesus did it. He was on the cross. They nailed him to the cross. They were in the act of crucifying him, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Peter told us that Jesus did that when he said, when he suffered, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to God. This is how we bless people. Verse 11, we bless by seeking and pursuing peace. Now, he doesn't just mean here, try to get along with people. He's not saying compromise on the truth, compromise your convictions, you know, lighten up on your loyalty to Christ so other people will like you and you can get along. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying here, seek peace and pursue it by staying out of the cycle of evil so that you don't increase it. And verse 12 is the blessing. Here's the blessing of God. The eyes of God are on the righteous sufferer. This is what we know. This is what we hold to. This is our hope. Our hope is that when we suffer faithfully for the cause of Jesus Christ, the eyes of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, are upon us. And His ears are open to our prayers. So there's the first two points. Don't respond to evil with evil. And do respond with a blessing. The third thing we see in this passage is another don't don't fear those who harm don't fe- don't let your heart be troubled verse 13 he asks a question now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good well the answer is there are plenty of people who will harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But they cannot harm you in the ultimate sense. Compared to the glory that awaits, this is not harm. We say with Martin Luther, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. And we belong to this kingdom. Verse 14, even if you should suffer for harm, you should not fear them, nor be troubled. Why? Because you're blessed. You're blessed by God. You're blessed here, you will be blessed there. Those who faithfully suffer for Christ's sake here are blessed with the presence of Christ with us. If you've read the stories, and you should, if you've read the stories of Christians who have suffered throughout the centuries for the sake of Christ, it's amazing how they all tell a very similar story. Whether it is in a a, a cell, a, a tiny, small, darkened prison cell or whether it is somewhere else where they are suffering, they all tell the most amazing common story of this. The very real sense of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ standing right there with them. It's amazing how this happens. Blessed. 
blessed here with the favor of Christ upon us. It's amazing when you read the stories of people who have suffered for Christ's sake, how those who are doing the persecuting, not always but often, look upon them and see some kind of blessing from somewhere that they can't explain on them and want to know why. Blessed here by knowing that we are honoring Christ by being the witnesses of his worth. Blessed here in our suffering for Christ's sake with the partnership of Christ in suffering that is going to lead to our glory with him in eternity, which leads us to the blessing there. There's a blessing here, there's a blessing there. The blessing there, the day of visitation, the revelation of Christ. Peter's been talking about this. What will it be? It will be hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. The blessing there is we will always be with the Lord. The blessing there is that after you've suffered, uh, suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who himself called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, establish, uh, strengthen, and establish you. That's the blessing. So he says, don't fear. Don't fear. Jesus said it to his disciples, little children, don't fear. The Father's given you the kingdom. And Peter says it here, don't fear. Oh, but the emotion of fear. I don't know about you, but when I hear don't fear, I often don't know what to do with those words. Because the emotion of fear is so real. So let's talk about it. As humans, we will experience the emotions of fear. And I'm so relieved also when I read about the people who are strong in their faith throughout history, the people that we have sort of put up to say, let's follow their example, and then you read their story. And they too confess to experiencing strong emotions of fear. Now, if you're in this room and you're one of those that never experiences the emotion of fear, would you stand right now? And <laughs> Let me just say to you, God bless you. <laughs> but be kind to the rest of us. And don't lay that burden upon us. Because the emotion of fear is real. So what does Peter mean when he says, do not fear them? The exhortation is to not let the emotion of fear keep you from faithfulness to Christ. If you have it, acknowledge it and then press. By God's grace, may he help us. To not let the emotion of fear cause us to act out of fear or to not act because of fear. To not respond to others in fear, but to be faithful to Christ. He says, do not fear. Do not be troubled. And then the fourth thing, do Honor Christ. Honoring Christ is the antidote to fear. You do fight fear with fear. In this sense, you fight the fear of man with the fear of God. And the fear of man is different from the fear of God. He says, honor Christ. Fear God, honor Christ. Verses 15 through 18 are worth reading again, and so I want you to follow along. After he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, verse 15, but 
in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now we are at the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is to be honored as holy in the hearts of his people. Honoring Christ as holy in our own hearts is the antidote to fear of other people. We're to honor Christ in our hearts. It's personal. It's individual. It's a word that is coming in this very moment to every individual sitting in this room. To honor Christ in your heart. To trust Christ. To set Christ apart in your heart as holy. It's a message and a calling coming to every person right now in this room. Is Christ Lord in your heart? Is Christ Lord in your heart? This is a much different thing, isn't it? From often what we hear, which is we grab hold of Christ to gain something for ourselves. It's a much, much, much different thing. Honoring Christ as Lord in our heart than it is when we want to use him for our own success. He's saying honor him as Lord in your heart. And he says honor him as holy. As holy. There's a reverence for Christ. There's an acknowledgement that Christ is Savior. That Christ is the sovereign Lord of all. To honor Him as holy means to truly understand and to believe and to set Him apart in your heart as the one who has the authority to be honored and to be obeyed because He is worth it. He is the Son of God who gave His life for us. He is the way of salvation, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the shepherd of His sheep. And therefore, he's to be honored in our hearts as holy. Holy means to, to set him apart as he is set apart, the one and only unique one. To set him apart in our hearts as the one and only. He has the throne. He occupies the throne of the heart. This is to honor him as holy in the heart. Honor Christ, verse 15, by being prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. So, you're faithful to Christ and you suffer for it. Again, at what level? I don't know. For me, I remember clearly. Became a Christian in a summer before school year. Left 
School year, school year's coming to an end, right? Some of you students have like a week left. School year came to an end, and there was one Scott. Summer, the Holy Spirit moved upon me, Jesus is Lord. Went back the next school year, first football game. I remember it like it was yesterday. Hey, Scott, you'll want to go out with us after the game. Well, you're thinking big deal, but I knew what that meant. Well, I said, you know, this summer, I confess Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. High school football game, you could have heard a pin drop. I, they, they, didn't, they didn't run the play. The whole thing stopped. <laughs> Time out. And there began the slights. So, now, that wasn't a big deal. Got over that. But ramp it up. Your job, your family, they're the slights. They're the, the pressures, you see? So you're faithful to Christ. You're suffering for it. Someone says, why? There it is, verse 15, why? To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, why, why? And you honor Christ this way when you say, because he's worth it. Or because he's Lord. Or because he loved me and gave his life for me. And I love him. Because he found me when I was lost. I follow him. Why? What's the hope within you? Why are you doing this? Because he strengthens me. He's with me. I want to be faithful to him. He's my Lord. Why? What hope do you have to stay faithful to Christ in the middle of this? And not give reviling and evil for evil, but to entrust your soul to God because he'll see me through. Because I want to endure to the end. Why? Because Jesus is Lord? It's that simple. I used to think this verse meant give a hope, give, give a reason for the hope that is within you. I used to think that meant I had to, I had to learn how to answer and win every argument with someone on an intellectual basis about the nature of the Christian faith. That, that's what I thought, because that verse, I love, it's fine to use that verse in that context, but that verse was always used in the context of doing apologetics. Okay, fine, but look at the context here, like the real one. It's you're suffering for Christ, and you stay faithful, and somebody says, what's the reason for this hope in you? I don't have to win any arguments with that. I, it's, it's enough for me to say, you ready for it? Jesus is Lord. And we give this reason with gentleness and respect. This keeps us out of the evil cycle. This is blessing people. Why? Why gentleness and respect? Well, if it's not gentle and respectful, guess what? You become the issue. You don't want to become the issue. You want Jesus to be somebody's issue. So gentleness and respect. Why? To put them, to lead them in a position to see, hear, come under the conviction of God, repent, and believe. 
We've been saved by grace. And now we're humbled to the point of desiring that other people are saved by grace. Verse 16, we honor Christ by keeping a good conscience. We keep a good conscience by answering with gentleness and respect, by not compromising our faith in Christ's commands, by not sinning, by not getting revenge. And when we do that, look what it says, God, this is, a, this is strong language, God will put them to shame. I didn't, we don't say that. God will put them to shame. So what does that mean? God will humble them. He will use the faithful, suffering, honoring testimony of his people at whatever level that happens to be. Don't worry about that. That's up to God. But he'll use it to put people to shame, to humble them, to make them sorry so that he can open up their minds to receive and to see first, to see that his ways are right, to see the truth of Jesus Christ, and then to repent of their sin, the very sin that they're committing when they persecute, and all the other sins, and come to faith in Jesus Christ just like you and I did by his grace. And we honor Christ by looking to him. Verse 18. Looking to him. Christ walked the way of the cross. And so do we. Deny yourself, take up your cross, Jesus said. Deny yourself, take up your cross. We're bearing a cross and following him. This is God's will, verse 17, that Christ, the righteous one, would suffer and bring us, the unrighteous, to himself. It is God's will, it is God's will to use the suffering of his church for righteousness sake to bring others to conviction and repentance and faith and salvation. It is God's will that we look to Christ as the example for how to suffer for righteousness sake. So what do we do with this message? Well first, trust Christ. Trust Christ. I wouldn't be surprised if someone here today has at one time or another reviled a Christian. It's possible that someone in this room has either made fun of, spoken evil against, slandered, or in some other way intentionally tried to harm a Christian. And here's the message for you. Repent and believe and Jesus Christ will embrace you in his arms. The Apostle Paul chased them down and God humbled him. And he then knew the joy of sharing the sufferings of Christ. So don't let anything keep you from Christ. What else do we do with this message? Follow Christ's example. 
Stay faithful to the end. Bless those who persecute you. What else do we do with this? Let's be a church that knows how to rally, that knows how to stay in there with each other when we're suffering, that knows how to build up when we're suffering. Let's be a church that helps. Let's be the most helpful church for Christians who are faithful. What else do we do with this? Let's pray for our brothers and sisters here and there in all places. Educate yourself. I shared uh, several weeks ago, there's some great apps. Get them on your phone. You just, it's, I think it's Voice of the Martyrs, and I always forget this. It's Voice of the Martyrs, and it's something else. But you just go, figure it out. Go to your app store. You find one. Read. Educate. Learn and start to pray. Again, this morning, India, there it was. Boom, right on my phone. India, listing out how to pray for the church right there. What do we do with this message? Honor Christ.